We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, here with co-host Andrew Spade. We have a brand new show for you. I hope, I hope, listen, I hope your Valentine's Day went well. However, you went about accomplishing your goals on Valentine's Day. Hope it went perfectly for you. Got a new little uh, Stanley Cup here from the wife, Andrew. Pretty nice. Uh, I don't really indulge in those sorts of things, but having a nice water bottle for the first time in a while is uh, pretty nice. I got to say some little things in life, as they say. What's up, man? Yeah, that congratulations, man. Hydration is so important on a daily basis. I'm congrats on your water bottle, dude. Very happy for you. Yeah, as I drink from a converted ball jar. Yeah, I mm. like it. I have noticed you tastes good no matter how. No matter yeah. how you get it, it tastes good. Water's the best. Uh, I'm doing great. It's nice to be here. Love that. All right. Well, we are going to do today a little uh, conversation on three positions we think the Browns have to upgrade to be. You know, I should say this: go going from a wild card uh, situation to a conference championship Super Bowl contender. These three positions have to get better. Okay, so we are in the early parts of player acquisition, so we're studying draft prospects, we're studying free agency, uh, all the above. So we, the best thing to do is identify positions we think need upgraded. Because that's where your focus should be, right? You shouldn't be out there like, oh, man, really like this middle linebacker, you know, on the market. Got to go get him or draft this player, whatever. I think that it's important to kind of hone in on what you think it takes to go to the next step. Because I think you and I would agree, Andrew, the Browns are more concerned about the immediate than the later at this point with where they're at structurally, salary cap wise. So we're going to get to those three. The one thing I did want to hit on, which is uh, kind of pertaining to the most important position you and I are going to talk about. It was put out by Pro Football Talk, probably through back-channel conversations with agents. T. Higgins is going to be franchise-tagged. That doesn't mean he won't be traded, but it is going to push to the point that he is going to be franchise-tagged. I don't think that's anything out of the ordinary for what we should have expected. I mean, I think most of us have been hinting at that. I know you and I have had conversations sort of based on that. Uh, you just can't, to me, Andrew, it feels like you can't let an asset, a young asset like that, walk out of your organization for nothing. You, you mean a comp pick, sure, but comp picks aren't going to be anywhere near what the value asset of he, you know, a player like T is 
or what you could potentially get in a trade. So I think that that dream, although fun in theory, has uh has, has faded pretty quickly. It's not an official NFL wise declaration here, but it is. I think I think it was the obvious outcome all along, and probably will be for Michael Pittman too. And if they want to trade T. Higgins, the Browns are not well suited, both being in the division and not having a first round pick. The Browns are not well suited to winning that trade negotiation. I think the Bengals would be hard pressed to justify trading T. Higgins within the division. So you're likely on the outside looking in with that one, probably similarly with Michael Pittman. I think the wide receiver trade market will be interesting. The Stefan Diggs stuff isn't going away. Devontae Adams is in a situation where the Raiders are continuing to rebuild. They might need to be in a position to trade up for a quarterback in April. So did they have a, a notion to move on from him? And if there are three or four veteran wide receivers that are available via trade, does that impact the market at all, right? Because the the A.J. Brown trade – the Tyreek Hill trade kind of set the market for what you would expect to get for a veteran wide receiver. Does that change if there's a few more of those guys out there? I think it's it's an ongoing – obviously, we're at the beginning of this whole thing, so we'll have a much a, a much higher degree of clarity by the time this, the combine gets started here in two weeks. But for now, if you start to look at this, it looks like more of those guys will be moving through trade than through free agency. And it underlines the Browns kind of have to decide if they want to try and go – push for one of the higher end talents, which would probably necessitate a trade, or if they think they can get by with a sort of secondary option in that Marquise Brown to Gabe Davis range. That's going to be what's most interesting about receiver is are they, do they envision a world in which a deep wide receiver class where you can move up from 54 to maybe chase a Jalen Polk or something of that nature is going to yield you a better result than like you mentioned a Darnell Mooney type of of guy on the on the market because the first position that you and I in our pre-show kind of discussion here hit on is wide receiver. Do I think the Browns wide receiver group is good enough? Yeah, like I think if you switch the Chiefs with the Browns, Andrew, it's the same. Browns are better. Actually, I feel pretty confident the Browns are better. But the issue is the Browns don't have the margin difference in Deshaun Watson to Patrick Mahomes, right? And they don't have some of those other elements in the play calling that help alleviate the burden of those wide receivers. And let us not forget that the Chiefs passing offense wasn't very good. They figured it out in the playoffs to do enough, but they weren't that good. So I, I, I these things aren't, you know, everything is black and white here. There are wide receiver groups the Browns are better than. But I think you and I would agree as far as pursuing how they score more points or how this offense just becomes better in general, wide receiver improving upon, you know, the secondary options in that group make the most sense to me. I early in this process lean toward drafting one in this class of what's available. And I think it's really strong. And the point that you just made, I think, is the most fair about you know, the evidence we have from T Higgins and some of the others in the trade market is probably the most realistic path. But I've seen some people like flirt with throwing a first round pick to the 49ers for Brandon. I, the Browns are not in a position to give another first round pick away. You cannot give four first round picks away in a row. You just, you can't because you lose contract flexibility in a way that you desperately need when you're up against the wall with the cap. So like, 
that to me is not an option I want to go down unless it's like you're 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 really bringing in an elite lock in elite talent and you're not giving up anything with that. So no other pieces go alongside that. I could start to have the conversation, but man, losing four first round picks in a row is a really challenging thing to overcome with how you structure keeping everything under the cap. It gets kind of tricky not to take the conversation down that route, but we definitely agree wide receiver is what has to happen here, but the route to getting there is a little trickier than it has been in the past. I think we could agree there. I think part of what makes the that route tricky is that whereas other teams have seemed to pluck wide receivers out of the draft th- rounds one through five, six, and find contributors on a yearly basis, the Browns have taken uh, mostly misses, swings and misses, uh, drafting wide receivers under this regime and, and even going back before that. So part of it is not a, a investing a, a top-end asset. They haven't picked a wide receiver in the first round since Corey Coleman. But without a first round pick, now you're you're really putting a lot of pressure on a wide receiver that's going to be in the, as you said, the 50s, unless you make a small move up to produce in year one. Now, again, other teams have had that success. The Browns have not. So I think I'm a little gun shy about that plan because they even, when they drafted a wide receiver in the third round last year, it was a player that he got on the field some, but it did not seem to fit right in from the jump in the way that you see this happening in, in other cities around the country. So despite what a couple training camp videos will get people excited about, right? Exactly. Right. So that also is on my mind here because you can't really afford, you don't really want the experience that they've had the past few years with Anthony Schwartz and I can name all the names, right? So do the, how do the Browns feel about, the best route to acquire their second wide receiver or one B to Amari Cooper's one a, I have a bias towards a proven commodity because they haven't shown the ability to find guys that can hit the ground running. And I think it's fair to say there's an Andrew Barry component, talent component, uh, assessing what the player can do. Like Anthony Schwartz is just a miss, a miss. miss. There's no, there's not a wide receiver there. So that's, that's that one. Right. But like with, Cedric Tillman, I think there's a coaching component here. I think the system not being friendly enough, the whatever, I don't know the specific stew, but the the end result is when new guys are brought into this offense, talk about Pierre Strong, they show flashes, but that overall cohesiveness of being in a really involved featured piece seems to take a long time. And you're, you're talking about needing to hit the ground running sort of quickly right with this that's a big part of that component maybe again though you can live in the in the best of both worlds we talked about darnell mooney's a great example things just fell apart for him in chicago there was a time where they were really excited about where he was going i don't think he's going to be maybe the only one that flushes out of that offensive system and lands somewhere else and could do better that's just an example of a player you swing on for now and later without breaking the bank or dissuading you from taking a wide receiver in the draft maybe moving into the 40s something along those lines to get a player you really like, because, you know, again, this is a wide receiver class. I'd really like to get somebody from that matters. If you can find a way to get someone that matters in this class, that'd be, that'd be a really great outcome. So, all right. Second list uh, position listing here. We, we agreed on wide receiver first. I think we're actually going to agree on the second position. So, you know, this is an agreeable show, we do disagree on the third, just a heads up for everybody, but go ahead, Andrew. 
Yeah, we're going to go at it hammer and tongs on that third one. But for now, we'll keep agreeing. And I think it's defensive tackle. Not because they didn't do a good job of fixing it in 23. They did, but those players are not under contract. So one of the ways they can fix this is by bringing back players that are currently set to be free agents. Maurice Hurst, right? Um, Jordan Elliott is going to be a free agent. I, I don't think that's the name that's jumping to the top of everybody's list. Shelby Harris is the other name, obviously. So... When you have three players that were all contributors for you walking out the door in free agency, you're obviously going to have to address that position because they don't have a young player that they're really excited about getting in the mix. Obviously, Siaki Ika was a third-round pick. I think nobody really liked what they saw from him in limited action down the back half of the year. So what I would say is you hope that that player – being in a, an NFL weight program for a full offseason with not having to worry about draft prep and all the travel and stress that that entails can just kind of get back to basics and, and work on changing his body so that he's uh, more stout at the point of attack in year two. That's his task, but there's I don't think you can count on him to start in, in year two. I think that would be pretty – be darn near uh, asking for trouble if you did that. So yeah. – so to me, there's an open spot next to Dalvin Tomlinson as a starter. And then there's also a, a backup rotational role for a, probably a, a rush type three tech, 280 to 300 pound guy that can get upfield. Right on. Yeah, I, I definitely find it like they have internal options. They have some people I think can make sense, obviously, right? Um, if they bring them back in Hurst, could bring back Shelby Harris. I don't know about Jordan Elliott, but it's interesting. So I think like you don't maybe have to go too far out of your comfort zone on this position, but there's obviously a chance that other people are going to pursue those guys and they'll go to different destinations based on pay. I do think you could still use an investment in somebody alongside Tomlinson here. I, I don't, I don't think it's crazy to think that you could still spend on this position because as we have seen over and over again, interior pressure remains a really strong point. So like if you wanted to say maybe pairing a affordable contract like Hearst alongside somebody in the 10 million range, I think it would be a fair idea to try because again, you really want to get as much out of the interior as you possibly can. So I have no issue with that. I think there are some intriguing names in the draft and the first three rounds that are, um, spicy enough to feel good about taking a player in that position too. Siaki is a true shrug your shoulders, prove it guy, man. Like the tape was extremely underwhelming. It is, it is not the guy that flashed some really, I mean, I almost wonder if Jim Schwartz only saw like the Baylor tape, like, like that, that LSU, uh, you know, I should, I should say, I almost think that Schwartz almost maybe watched just the good, uh, the, the Baylor bowl game, um, his, his, uh, year before he left. I'm not sure. I, I I really don't know because there were some flashes, but he just looked so physically overwhelmed and the speed element was overwhelming to him too. That, I mean, it's a position that takes a while to get better. It's, it takes the developmental curve going from being maybe a gap shooting defensive tackle to saying, Hey, we need you to anchor these double teams, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of learning to be done there. The Browns obviously encourage you to get upfield as a defensive tackle so that, is something he needs to be working on, sort of that immediate quickness off the snap. So 
I don't also, like you said, feel comfortable with being like, yeah, he's your third best guy and let's go. Like that's, yeah, that's not the route. It'd be great if that had been the course of action here, but that is not where we landed after the football season. The good news for the Browns is that defensive tackle this year is loaded in free agency. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the draft options. One thing I'm going to be a broken record on with the draft is unless they trade down again, which I think is certainly in the realm of possibility to try and get three picks in the top 100. They currently have two in the top 100 and then they don't have a fourth round pick. So to me, it feels like they have two bites at the apple to get contributors in the draft this year Mm -hmm. in the second and the third. And then the rest is just about long-term depth pieces. So I think defensive tackle is certainly a position you want to address in free agency, in my mind. The the top of the, the class is crazy with Chris Jones, Justin Matabike. I always like Christian Wilkins coming out of uh, Clemson. I think it's likely he gets tagged. Leonard Williams, G, DJ Reader. These are all guys that are going to get like $15 million at the Dalvin Tomlinson level, right? Then you get into guys like Grover Stewart, Sheldon Rankins, Tier Tart. Fletcher Cox and Daquan Jones are older players, but still very good. And mm-hmm. you probably could get them for a, a one-year deal where you wouldn't have to commit long-term cap dollars. All of those players ranked ahead of Maurice Hurst in the PFF free agency rankings. So it's a loaded class of free agents. Some of those we know will get snapped up in one way or another, a franchise tag or an extension. But I do think that There's a great opportunity, as you mentioned, to pair somebody with Dalvin Tomlinson and then take a late swing on a high upside athletic type in the draft as well that you could have depth there long term as a sort of pass rush developmental prospect. That seems to be the way I would I would address this. Fair. Very fair. I think that is as many swings at this position as you can get is something that I'm into. All right. Next one, you have another defensive line position, right? Right. And it's all based on what happens with Sedarius Smith. Because mm-hmm. they restructured his contract so that he's a free agent coming up. I don't think the Browns are going to be interested in extending him before he reaches free agency. I think they might be interested in letting him test the market and come back at a lower number. But I don't think they're going to try and get something done now. I think they are probably feeling with his injury history that the market will be friendly to them and convince him to take less, potentially, for a situation that he knows. And I think I think he liked playing here, so there's that. Beyond that, you've got Obo Okoronkwo, who's back, but is not a full-time player. I think that was really confirmed this year. So they haven't... Now, Alex Wright is the player that flashed a bunch this year in his second year. Could he slide into that starting role with Okoronkwo as the the rush component of that, and then Wright maybe slides inside? I think that's possible. I think that's... You could live in that world if you wanted to save money there to spend more money elsewhere. I think that 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 would be an okay uh, outcome for this year for the Browns. I do think you would still want then another veteran depth piece, just something to help those guys, help that room. And I think we saw with Schwartz, the rotations got a lot more planned out and a lot more thoughtful in terms of mixing in different guys and different packages. I expect that to continue. And I think if there is a, a veteran free agent that can kind of give them some of that Low snap number spice, I guess is the way to say it, right? Where they're they're not around a lot, but you know maybe it's Leonard Floyd, for example, right? Or I, I see they've got PFF's got Danico Autry listed as an edge, but I think he would be more of a three tech for the Browns. Anyway, uh, yeah. Carl Lawson is a name that's out there, a guy that the Browns were flirting with in free agency a few years ago. 
you, you pick your name, Derek Barnett, blah, 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 blah. A guy that has some athleticism and could be a mix-in guy, kind of a career rehab thing, gets 300, 400 snaps, and then signs a one-year deal and then goes someplace else next year. That's what I think they need to do at edge. And I, it's also an area where I wouldn't be surprised if that's something they look at, especially with that third-round pick. I would not be surprised at all. And I could even see, like, if you've done some of these mock drafts and stuff, you, you get some you kind of get some crazy results every now and again and guys that are maybe you didn't expect to be there. But I can just tell you if, you know, Chris Braswell, Chop Robinson is inside the top 50, if he lands there, Darius Robinson had a good senior bowl out of Missouri, Adasia Isaac, the other Penn State edge guy. There's if the wide receiver doesn't fit what you're looking for at that point, there's not the right player there. There's definitely a world in which they could take an edge, right? To try to pin down an answer long-term for, uh, you know, the position across from miles without the rush, because you do have Okoronko who can step in and be the guy right away. And then you can work that player in. Right. So I think that's in the realm of possibility. The only other one I thought was worth mentioning, not that I think edge is wrong or anything. is just running back. Like, when you looked at offense, where was there a talent issue? I think we could agree after Nick went down, there was a pretty significant talent gap between some of the other positions and running back. This is before the tackles all ended up getting hurt as well. But yeah, like to me, that position, getting a difference maker, not Nick, right? You mean you might get Nick back and he's good to go and that's great. But somewhere in the middle of, of what Jerome Ford gave them, and what Nick Chubb was is something that you would like to find. Now we have laid out names on the free agency market that can make some sense there. I don't know whether they'll be hungry to go that route, but there are kind of the perfect thing is that the value of the position is not great this year, but it is kind of perfect for where they're picking. So guys who are, I'm drawn to sort of with that second pick, if they want to go that route, Trey Benson from Florida State, I think, is a fun player. Blake Corum obviously has produced really well. Bucky Irving, who's more of a a, a bit more of an elusive back than a run-through-you type, but he's young. He's impressive. Audric Estime is going to be 20 and a, you know, 20 and a half at the draft. Powerful running back out of Notre Dame. Marshawn Lloyd, the USC kid later on. Braylon Allen, who's just turned 20 from Wisconsin. Like, I just think that there are some real opportunities here to try to take another swing at improving who you're putting in the backfield. And I think if the Browns get a more difference maker-ish type of player out of this draft that you can put in the backfield, I think you can have a real answer for some of your woes offensively. At the times, I think the running backs played a pretty big, pretty big role in. So I, I think that that one is one that, you know, is is to me fair to draft but also fair to find a veteran that you think could really help you look at the david montgomery difference right in in uh in detroit and some others the, the veterans that just find other places and they're real contributors and they make enough plays and i would like to think the browns could attack that in cheap free agency or with a guy in this draft right when we talked about it talking about the room this past year and where they go i think we kind of landed on they need to have four players ready for next season because the Nick Chubb injury is a question mark. So you figure Jerome Ford is back. I think Ford being in a, a sort of two-way camp battle with a rookie and a veteran would make sense. And then Pierre Strong is sort of that fifth guy who's on the outside looking in but could earn it if he can really show up in preseason. So that 
to me is it's kind of like the edge situation where you need to add a veteran presence. You also need to add a young developmental player. I would prefer all things being equal. I would prefer them to really dig deep and find somebody in the later rounds that they think is a, is a player that can contribute long-term, but also they don't have to invest a premium pick at because I, I think they've got enough other long-term needs at the premium, so-called premium positions mm-hmm. that, that they, they, probably can't afford to spend either that second or third on on a back. But once you get into the, the backgrounds, the fifth, sixth, seventh, the end of the draft, that's where I think I'd like to see them turn to that position. Okay, so those are technically four that we gave you, but but uh, some agreement went on with wide receiver, DT edge, and then looking at running back too. So that's where a large part of our focus will be. We'll obviously hit on other positions in the player acquisition process, but that I think is what most people could agree with is the spot that they have to improve upon. Right. We could say nickel corner could definitely think about a backup quarterback. Right. Some different spots. You can maybe go with a swing offensive tackle. Some 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 of those positions on the margin. But those are the spots that are highlighted. Right. So we're going to take a break. Come back uh, from that break. We're going to talk about the interior offensive line performance from last year. So we will return after just a minute. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy and concerts near you you can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had so why would you go game time they have flash deals last minute tickets they're easy to find buy tickets for every kind of event in your area specifically those cleveland browns you get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. 
All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so we're talking interior O-line. These are the names that we're going to cover. Ethan Posich, technically we're going to cover the fullback in this group, Nick Harris. Wyatt Teller, Joel Batonio, Michael Dunn, a couple games worth of action from Luke Whipler filling in at fullback, and that's the group. So looking back on the season, you obviously get 16 games out of Posich. You get 17 out of Teller, 16 out of Batonio. That's a good outcome, Andrew. Those are healthy seasons for those guys. Michael Dunn is the additional lineman, would come in. He played 11 games. He played... 146 pass blocking snaps. He obviously had some snaps in there at guard for Joel when Joel was out. So that number gets boosted a little bit. And then Dunn had 120 run blocking snaps. As far as Nick Harris, he had a 38, 138 run blocking snaps on the pass block side, 169. So he saw time when Posich left as well. And then Luke Whipler saw a little bit of time at guard and being an additional lineman for them as injuries started to mount. He played 134, or sorry, excuse me, only 34 pass-blocking snaps, and then 23 run-blocking snaps. We're really focusing on the big three, and then the additional supplemental roles of Nick Harris and Michael Dunn stepping in when they needed to. So, yeah, I'll do what I always do and throw it to you, give your immediate reaction to the position and what grade you think they're fitting. This is a tough one because it's a – it's a group, one of the healthiest groups on the team in a year that the Browns struggled with injury across the board. These guys were there. And I, I, I mean, obviously, I think we, we all love Joel Batonio. I, none of these guys really rubbed me the wrong way, I guess. Like, they're all good players that do their job. And, and it was great to see Wyatt Teller play a full 17-game schedule. I think having said all of that, you have to be a little disappointed with their production, considering... I've, the way I always frame this is considering what they have invested at the position. It's not they're they're not bad, but they are not good enough for what they cost the Browns. And I think that's an important distinction to make. One of the reasons, often, that teams do not overinvest at interior line positions is because you can find relatively similar production for a lot cheaper from somewhat out of nowhere type guys. I thought that the Browns over the past few years have had a chance, an opportunity to get cheaper, especially at right guard and at center, and they passed it up in favor of signing Ethan Posich to a large extension and giving Wyatt Teller a large extension right after they handed one to Joel Batonio or before. But it was in that 21 season where Odell Beckham walked off the team. Their cultural response to that was to extend both the guards, and I get it from the standpoint that that's their identity and that was where their bread was buttered. But much like when we talked about the Jack Conklin extension, the Wyatt Teller extension, now he was a good player this year, but was he? did he play to the caliber of his contract? I think there's an open question. And then with Betonio, it's, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable question 
about where things are headed long term with his age and injury history and all those things. So I my big question with this room is what what are the and how would you anticipate them improving this year? Unless Wyatt Teller really truly plays as one of the best guards in the league, how does this three how did this three outperform what they're being paid? And I think it's hard to find a case for that. So you start looking which we'll get to in a minute to, to the contract situations and and how that will all play out. As far as a grade, I I think I would give them a C. Yeah, you're looking at if you again the top three guys here, Ethan Postich last year post his best year by far. Right, he plays 819 snaps, 358 in the in the run blocking phase, 461 as a pass blocker. Uh, gave up 10 pressures only on the year, so he had a 98.6 efficiency. Grade was uh, steadily above anything it's ever been. Run blocking grade was pretty quality. I think those match up with what we saw on film, right? Took a great step. I don't think he went in the wrong direction. He had more opportunity. The efficiency number was actually right on par with what it was last year. The small issue is the uptick in penalties. He had six, but that th- those penalties, a couple are driven by the sort of weird moving the football thing that was going on midseason. So I'm not like thinking there's a giant uptick in there. But what I'm getting at is you have two seasons of pretty good baseline center play like postage can clearly do the role he can do it well and he's given you three uh, two years here as an example that that's a position that he can handle he's not an all pro center but pretty good the guards is where it kind of goes in the opposite direction joel had never had a season anywhere near what he put up this year which was a dip from his usual 98 efficiency down to 97 which is a big thing with pass block efficiency he went from allowing 20 pressures Here's what he's had uh, in terms of total pressure since 2018. 13, 17, 18, 17, 20, and then this year, 35. So that's a it's a pretty big increase. He is, his grades in the run blocking phase went down significantly. Pass blocking phase went down. Overall, it's his worst season he's had, you could argue, since he's been in the NFL. Now, is that because he was beat up and the knee issue lingered and that played a part in the back injury happened? I don't think – my thing, Andrew, is – you can do the one-off stuff with guys in their 20, you know, 20 years, 24, 25. I mean, Joel's going to be 33 this year. You usually don't see injuries decreasing on these guys as they get older. So it's a concern. He's two Pro Bowl seasons away from having a case of making the Hall of Fame. If you look at the value of guys who have made the Hall of Fame at the guard position, he's there. He's got to have two more pretty good seasons. Now, he got some benefit of the doubt, I think, based on reputation. I know you and I talked about how, like, the all-pro and Pro Bowl stuff usually is, like, a year or two worked out. Kind of works out the same with, like, Madden ratings on some of these guys, what the perception is of them. They need Joel to be back, right? They need him to be the version that they have expected for another year or two. I don't know if he will be able to get to that point, but that's that's what they need. They can't have him being as leaky as he was this year. There were pass block issues in terms of like trading guys on, on line stunts, not the usual guy you see on tape. Now, Wyatt Teller's trickier. He has a really stellar season in 20 and 21. He puts up another really good season, but the pressure rates keep going up and the general grades keep going down. Not as dominant a run blocker as he was for that two year stretch that got him a contract. He's not bad. He is a fine baseline guard but they're paying him to be better than a fine baseline guard. That's the issue. Same with Betonio. 
That's why you're like expectations versus reality are a little skewed. I thought Michael Dunn was good when he was arriving, playing in uh, various extra offensive lineman roles and obviously stepping in for Joel when he did. I thought Nick Harris was, you know, as far as a Swiss Army knife for this offense, did his job, thought he was good. I would give the group a B minus, C plus B minus, but they need, based on how they're paying these three players, for this to be an A. They need to be better next year. They've invested too much and the guys are too talented to not be better. Maybe there's a perspective change in the offense, how they go about it, difference in sort of the way they attack defenses that can help them. Maybe the uh, arrival of a new offensive line coach works in their favor, Andrew, get some different perspective on how they're doing things. But I think you and I could agree that the way they're invested in these three guys and obviously they've selected both Whipler and Harris at the position as well. And we think they might select the position again this year to sort of give them some insurance. They need it to be better. They, they flat out need to be better. So like B minus is kind of where I'm at. I think that they were fine comparatively, but, but they, they, uh, they left some to be desired. I think that's absolutely fair. Just kind of checking in with where these contracts fall around the league, right? Ethan Postich is the, by APY, which is just averaging out the the total value of the contract over the years of the contract, is a sort of shorthand for where players rank up, trying to compare apples to apples. Uh, he's the ninth highest paid center. I think that, to me, feels right, Jake, mm-hmm. for his level of production. I think he produced around that level. So some years you're probably getting a little bit of value. Some years maybe you're overpaying a little bit, but he's in line with that, I think, for the contract. And in terms of the contract, his numbers never get – that's scary, right? For 24, he's got a $4 million cap hit. Next year, it goes up to eight. And then he's got a void year in there for, for 26. But So if he's still playing well, they could potentially renegotiate things going into next year. But for this year, he's a less than $4 million player on, on the cap. I think that's very, very doable for what he provides value-wise. So that's the center. At guard, Joel Batoni and Wyatt Teller are right next to each other at the seventh and eighth highest con- highest paid guards in the league, right? So there are a few guys ahead of them, but not many. And there's not another team, certainly not another team, that has invested so much in two guards. The next up is the Bears. They've got guys that are both in the teens, but they also have more cap space than God. So it doesn't really matter the same way it does to the Browns. So the question for the Browns is why Teller's 30? His cap number this year is 11.6 million. Next year it's 14.4. And then as it currently stands, his he has a void year cap number of 19 and a half million dollars in 2026. He has no more guaranteed money in his contract. Is he is he a candidate for some sort of a restructure? Joel Batonio, 12.1. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers around here, but stick with me. 12.1, 14.3, and then a void year number of 15.6. Do they plan on restructuring his contract? So they're both out of guaranteed money. They are both in their 30s now. They are both very highly paid players. Is there a path for the Browns restructuring these contracts, lowering those cap numbers, extending maybe a little bit more guaranteed money, but pulling back on some of these numbers and then spreading out that void year stuff a few years into the future? I I don't know. That's one of the things we'll have to watch this year because just like they've made a large financial commitment at tackle – They've made it a guard. The difference is these contracts are flexible. The Browns have room to move either with a trade or a release on both 
or or a restructure on both Petonio and Teller. They or a renegotiation, I should say. They don't have room to move with Conklin and Wills, and so if they if they decide to keep Conklin and Wills, one way you could make room for those guys is by restructuring, renegotiating the contracts of Batonio and Teller. It's something to watch for sure uh, over the, especially the next month as we approach free agency. Well, I, I I would agree with you that I think that this is a position where those guys should feel like they were taken care of. So coming up with some solution that eases the burden on the cap for those guys chasing a championship down the line here could make a good amount of sense giving some guarantees like you mentioned because these guys do they, you know they're dealing with injuries right and like when you're an injury risk teams will move on from you and you know you don't want your contract totally ripped up because who knows what somebody will give you somewhere else so it's a little tricky it's a little tricky so i i think that there are definitely conversations to be had there it's fascinating it's good stuff all right um so who stays and who leaves? Do, I, I don't expect this group to change much. Maybe Michael Dunn is gone because they draft a more suitable backup piece and they think Whipler grows another year into this thing. I mean, Nick Harris is probably gone in free agency. I think somebody out there could use his services. You talk about the people that have been connected to the Browns. Maybe you're talking a trip to Tennessee or a trip to New England because those coaches know him relatively well and can use the value right can can convince their groups that the value is there i think nick harris is a starter i think he's a low-end starter but he can start somewhere so i don't expect him to be back but that's probably at the backups i think the first three guys will probably be here unless they want to get really crazy and take a risk and maybe like they think whipler is ready to go and hey we're going to move on from postage if we can get out of that contract without killing ourselves here but i i just i think with where they're at and what they're trying to do right away hit the ground running this year I don't expect any of these three to be gone. Where do you sit? I agree. I, I think that it's it's more likely to to renegotiate their contracts, figure out a different way to keep them around, like you said, make them feel valued rather than just pushing them off the roster. That being said, I think if they got a strong offer for Wyatt Teller, they would consider it because it would save a ton of money on the cap. And if somebody was really willing to give up a valuable draft pick for a guard, I think you you owe it to yourself to consider that that possibility right so the only problem is that if they trade him it actually makes their cap situation worse this year because of the dead money i'm just looking at uh, over the cap here so it would have to be like post-june trade i don't know how all that stuff works it's those are the m- things of minutiae that i don't <laughs> get into too far but as far as the yeah, as far as the backups dunn and harris are both free agents so i think they're probably both gone dunn is now 30 which is crazy because it feels like he just really never got his chance here. I think Dunn and Harris could both go to Tennessee and start. Like, I I know we keep bringing up the Titans again and again and again, but like they're very familiar with Bill Callahan. I think they're both players that, as you said, are not pro bowl starters, but they are, they could start in the NFL. So I could see both of those guys or at least one of them ending up down there. So then your backups are Luke Whipler. There's that guy they drafted out of Texas tech two years ago. Dawson Deaton is still around. And then, Somehow Drew Forbes is still on the roster. So what an he, incredible journey! It's it just doesn't end with that kid. So he's he is Prospect around as X, well. As they yeah, say. yeah, and and uh, it will be back. So th- they do have other guys around the team that could provide interior depth. You mentioned earlier needing to draft somebody here, and I think that's absolutely right. They this is one. This is the sneaky one where if somebody at an interior lineman spot that they liked was available 
at the top of the draft, I could see them pulling the trigger just because of where they're at with the contracts and age of the the starters at this position. Yeah, tough to disagree with that, man. I mean, the, if you look at you know guards, there's not a there's not a really high end guard in the draft that people are thinking could go early. The Christian Hayes kid out of UConn had a nice Senior Bowl, but again, if you're looking through most draft prospect stuff, this is one of the weaker positions in the class, so that doesn't help anything. Uh, centers, there's a little bit more prospect promise with Jackson Powers Johnson, but there are a lot of folks who think he's going to be gone in the first round, and then you're kind of falling to Zach Frazier, the kid out of West Virginia, and then you're all the way into the 100s on most boards with Cedric Van Prant. So I, I don't envision there being some like early interest. I think that this position, both center and guard, aligned pretty well with where the Browns have an abundance of picks. I thought last year was interesting that they – moved out of the ability to take Andrew Voorhees, the kid from USC who was on an injured situation. He tore his ACL in the combine, pretty talented. They gave that pick up. The Ravens came up to get that sixth round uh, selection. Actually, I think it was a seventh round selection. They took him. The Browns get a sixth back this year. So that's something to pay attention to if Voorhees becomes a viable player down the line here. I thought that was kind of like an interesting spot. I thought the Browns could have taken advantage of almost like redshirting a guy for a year behind the aging guards that they have here so something to something to keep in mind i mean the vision for 2024 which is kind of what we like to close on is i think andrew is simple as saying they play better like these three are back and how they're better is they're healthier they run have a nice run of health and they play a little bit more up to the standard of what we've seen from 2020 to 2023 sorry 22 instead of the sort of like ho-hum above average versions we saw last year. That would be the best vision for 2024 for me. Because I, I mean, like you said, if somebody offers something overwhelming, yeah, they're going to take it, but it's hard to envision that happening given the contract. So I think they're all here. And I, I just would hope that there's a chance that they, you know, the group plays a little better. It's an interesting dynamic with Bell Callahan leaving after four years in that spot. I'm sure the offensive line room will feel different. Andy Dickerson is a, a much younger guy than Callahan, and I, I think he's probably going to teach it differently. So there's a chance here that that can we, – we love the the narrative where a player is rejuvenated late in their career. I think we could see a little rejuvenation for Joel Batonio with a new coach that, that probably wants him to do things a little bit differently, maybe wants him to, to play a little bit lighter. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what the, the tweaks are, but I'm sure there will be tweaks. So you, that's the narrative you hope to spin forward here is that these players – I mean, Joel Batonio especially is obviously central to who the Browns are. He is their longest tenured player. He has been through it all. And you you don't want to talk about the Browns without Joel Batonio. But for what they're paying him, he has to be better than he was last year. So you hope the path to that is that he comes back and has that sort of late career renaissance that you've seen with other offensive linemen where they put together one or two Pro Bowl seasons at the end of their career using all of their knowledge and know-how to, to retire on a high note. That's what we're hoping for with Joel over the next two years. Yep. I agree. That's a, uh, that's a wrap though. Let's, let's uh, get out of the offense and go to defense next. We'll start looking at edge and defensive tackle and picking apart what we think the, the group did in 23 and, and kind of like keeping praise to them for the season they had, but also a keen eye on 2024's eventual vision as well, because I think it's going to be important for them to solve some uh, dynamics within the rotation of those upfront groups. So those will be our next few. So uh, we're getting there, moving along. We have uh, some some content coming up, mailbag this week, some other things that we'll get to uh, that are meant to 
continue to look at free agency coming up quickly. And then coming up soon again will be the uh, combine in just a couple of weeks. We'll have a lot of information on who these players are as athletes and start to clear up the draft picture. So it's all coming up quickly. So thanks for stopping by, making this show a part of your day. We really appreciate that. You guys know. Uh, otherwise, listen, rate and review the pod if you can. Always appreciate that. And be well and go Browns. Go Browns.